Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. What's going on, everybody? Welcome inside Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast. Josh Shaw rocking the polo, the green grass, and the backwards hat. Also, most likely, uh, you know, I think we've had like three episodes where you had a buzz cut and the comb over. So it, it's, the, I feel like you're going to be on your A game for this episode, which is big because it's a big episode. <laughs> I try to bring my A game each time, but I think I fall short a lot. Yeah, story of your life, Josh Shaw. I can ask your girlfriend <laughs> the same thing. Here we are talking about a topic that follows up a topic. Um, we recently talked about gender inequality within sports nutrition, which I thought was a wonderful topic, and I think we've got good engagement. I think for the most part, the overwhelming response was an agreement with us. Um, however, and the next step is, like, will we do anything about it? It's like, yep, we agree. Yep, Josh and Ryan, you're right. But now we have to do something about it. And the topic today is on the same grounds of conversation, maybe one that's a little bit more uncomfortable. And, and I don't mean that because I feel like the female conversation could be uncomfortable for some people, but when it comes to race, especially now in 2020, especially given the lighting, uh, uh, you know, all the events that come to light in 2020 and how we obviously know that racism is still alive and well in this country and across the world, we take a look at that in sports nutrition and say, okay, is there inequality or is there a gap between, you know, the, the white male and the minorities? Um, and, and I think for us, Josh, though, I think it's very important for us to paint the picture for our listening and viewing audience to find race within our space, because I think a lot of people right away think white, black, white, black, right? Like that's where their mind goes to. But there's, uh, you know, there's Mexican, there's Hispanic, there, there's Middle Eastern. I mean, we actually, Surprisingly, I mean, I've worked with a lot of companies that that their leadership team, it's not white males, and it's actually refreshing. Yeah, I think both of us had kind of different paths to this topic in terms of like inspiration. I think you had right after the time of some of the kind of like social unrest, you had somebody ask a question around um, black owned businesses um, in the sports nutrition space. Like, who do you who should you support? Yeah, because I I asked you that question. Yeah, and I actually had a similar um, kind of question asked to me from one of my clients um, where they were asking me to kind of come up with some broader CPG um, brands and just kind of create that list because they were kind of looking at that the same way. And I think a lot of people started to look at it that way and say, hey, who who does own some of these companies? Because there are the companies that obviously are the front-facing entrepreneur. We know who they are or whatever. But there's a lot of companies that maybe we don't know or right. we don't know who the – senior leadership is, or we don't know who the upper management is, or we don't know any of that, unless you kind of work behind the scenes and you know them or whatever. But I think overall, this was a question, I think a hot topic right now, a lot of people are trying to ask those questions to get the information. And I think at this point, you know, they're, they're looking at maybe, hey, are we, are we not noticing certain brands that we should? Are we, I think there's a lot of times with the echo chamber of like, you're used to in the crowd that you're in, you hear the same, you know, talk about the same brands, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you get closed off. And in today's market with so many brands, you tend to just think, hey, I know all the ones I need to know about, that's it, and then you just move on because yeah. it's so complex, there's so many of them. But I think because a lot of times there's that mirroring effect or, or echo where um, you start to hear the same things you say that ultimately it just puts you in kind of a box. And I think that that was similar to what we were talking about with just women in the industry. And I think that there's a similar topic that needs to be had in terms of just minority owned businesses or just minorities, uh, how they're represented 
in the sports nutrition space. I think too, like to distinguish between brand owners and retail level owners as well in this space, because there's a lot of retail store owners who are minority owners. I mean, like minority in terms of what we consider race in the country. They're not just white dudes owning all these sports nutrition stores. There are a lot of people that are trying to live the American dream by owning a brick and mortar. Um, you know, and, and I actually I sell to many of them through our Fitbitters platform, and I think it's refreshing. It's cool. It's it's good to see other people that can obviously you know get involved in the space, but. I, I obviously like we can talk about I think for me it's a lot harder to have the conversation about black owned sports nutrition brands or ran versus minority owned because minority owned like you know I, at the top of my head right now I have like five or six that I know um, that I work with for fitness informant and they're great people then the question is do they get the same type of response do they get the same type of respect do they get the same type of chances as potentially a a, a, a white-owned business? And that, I don't know. I honestly don't know the question because I'm not involved in that. You've obviously worked closer to some of these businesses, and I don't know if that – I don't know how, what you'd call it. If that – like if people have embedded people to potentially not buy from brand ABC because they're owned by a minority. And I, First off, let me just be on the record and saying if that's – any of you listening, like that's bullshit. You should never, ever allow yourself – to make a decision based on somebody's race, uh, ethnicity at all, but I'm sure it exists today. Yeah, I think it comes down to like conscious, subconscious in terms of like consciously, I think a lot of people would side with you 100% and say, I, I never do that. But there are things subconsciously that have been built into us from uh, we little kids that we just don't even realize is happening. Right. And I think that sometimes when we are in that autopilot mode, Decisions get made where sometimes you make a uh, one that maybe you look back in hindsight and go, oh, that could have been the case where I, I might have not made the right decision. I think that happens in business all the time. I don't think that anybody listening to this should be thinking like it's it's a complete fair right. system. It's, it's not. Um, and not to say that life is fair and, and all of that. I totally am on the side of, you know, that. This is a kind of a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and, and there's a lot of those things. But when you build in systems that hold somebody down that they can't get above a certain thing, that's when it starts to get wrong. It should be a free system meritocracy type of a thing where who, the, the best win, the, be, you know, the best produce, the best win type of a situation. Um, when we were kind of considering this, I was thinking with sports nutrition and how you – know, again, when we talk in sports nutrition, there's a lot around like the – newness of the industry um, because it doesn't have this like huge um, legacy way back to um, a time before there was, um, you know, when we had segregation and stuff like that. Like our industry came after that point um, in terms of when it, you know, became who it is today, I guess. But I'm thinking like way back towards like where maybe most of, and this maybe is from an African-American or black um, perspective, is that a lot of the um, I guess people that were in the industry known in the industry initially would be from like the bodybuilding mm -hmm. world. Right. Um, and, and the two best bodybuilders arguably in you know, maybe the three best bodybuilders if you count Phil Heath, but it's like are kind of the, are all black, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, so it's one of those things where I think that, um, in terms of an athletic standpoint, I don't think anybody's ever looked down on another race and, and said that was the case. Now that's, one thing, when we move into like the business world, that's maybe a different thing. But with Ronnie Coleman and Lee Haney um, and Phil Heath, I mean, they all own supplement brands. Yep. Um, so they have been able to like take a lot of that popularity 
um, from the sport of uh, bodybuilding, the, the sport part of our, our industry, and curtail that into businesses that have had, you know, different degrees of, of success. Mm -hmm. I think Ronnie Coleman probably would be the highest level of success. Maybe Lee Haney's had a long time, and I think it sold really well internationally for a long time. But those two guys, I think, both had pretty successful brands built mm -hmm. off of the back of their of their um, athletic performance. But uh, that's kind of where I'm like trying to pull some history inferences or something like it's saying like, you know, where can we start from? Because it's not like we could start from a time that's much earlier, um, like some of these other industries. Yeah, because I mean, right, you, you named Lee Haney, Phil Heath, Ronnie Coleman, three of the greatest bodybuilders in the history of the sport. Um, but their, their brands, I mean, Ronnie Coleman's brand is still still relevant today, more so probably across the pond than here, um, but it's still doing big business in, in certain parts of the country. But I was thinking the same thing, like the most successful bodybuilders, even the, even in the women, are not Americans. Like, I mean, they are uh, either minorities or different ethnicities, like even on the female side. They're not like United States of America, your typical white people. That's not the case. Um, it's just that the people in charge or the people in the C-suite typically are, it seems like. And I love... You and I have talked about Shark Tank like a hundred times. One of my favorite sharks on Shark Tank is is Jamin John. Like the he he founded Fubu. His story is amazing. I saw him talk one time, and it's actually super inspiring. And it's like maybe more people need to listen to someone like him talk. I don't know because it's just anybody can do anything. And if if you think for whatever reason because the color of your skin puts you at a disadvantage, like I don't want you to think that. I don't think that's true, and that, and it shouldn't be true in this space. And if it is, it's because there's bigotry somewhere within this space that should be eliminated. Um, and it's sad. I mean, I'm, again, maybe there's maybe maybe African Americans or Hispanics just aren't interested in sports nutrition and owning a company here. I don't know, but like, it would be super interesting to get feedback from people uh, involved in that and say, you know, like, were you not given certain chances, or were did you find something difficult because of that? And I, because you and I are your typical white males. I mean, we are just, we're, we ha we're the most privileged in the world. Like we, I think we've talked about this. Like we've talked about this on, on a, a recent episode. We'll never know what it's like to, to have to go up against challenges that others face. And in this space too, it's the boys club. We talked about that on the, on the female one. It, it's generally been the white boys club, like not just boys club, like the white boys club. You go to the bar at the Olympia or the Arnold, it's still kind of the same. It's just a group of white men hanging around, putting drinks on, on businesses tab. And that hasn't changed in 20 years. So, I mean, do you, do you think it's going to change? And, and if so, like when? I mean, it definitely should. I mean, I think if you look at last numbers are somewhere, I think maybe 13 to 14% of America is made up of uh, black Americans. And then we consider Hispanics and all the other kind of races. I mean, at the, I don't know what date it is, but at a point very soon in history, uh, in the future, I think whites are not going to be the, the majority anymore in, in America. So it, it's one of those things where if you are selling any product or any service or anything, and you're looking at your um, potential consumer groups out there, odds are if you're a white male, it's not going to look like you have the majority to, to so you're going to have to learn um, you know, how to market, how to speak. And there's an opportunity for people of color to be able to, to speak to them in a much more authentic way, obviously. So mm -hmm. I think it's one of those things where it's a huge business opportunity. I think there's a ton of opportunity for um, people to get into this space from a minority and, and saying like, 
what could we do here? And I think I looked at some like health statistics because I, I always remember these things, but I, I don't keep it to memory, but I was looking at some of the things around obesity with um, black and Hispanic, like, and it was, they were close to 50% mm -hmm. of Americans at this point. And most of them have a higher rate of death from like heart disease and um, a bunch of other like um, nutrition related illnesses. Mm -hmm. So I think at that point, when you have a whole group of individuals that are struggling with something that supplements can have some you know, effect, not mm -hmm. to say that that's the whole thing, but I think you obviously, if you're an entrepreneur in the space, you can start to create those systems, create those conversations with individuals in uh, that look like you and say, hey, we're struggling with this as a, as a race. We, we should be looking at our health, nutrition, all of those things in a much different way. Um, so there's, for me, I think as like a business strategist, it seems like there's a ton of opportunity out there. It's just a matter of, like you said, I don't know if it was always something that maybe seemed attractive. Uh, maybe you don't see as many people like you succeeding in the space. So you think I don't have somebody to look at and say, Hey, this is what it is. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I can't really put myself in the shoes there, but I think that there is from a business strategy standpoint, just a ton of opportunity that makes sense. If I were to ask you, Josh, what is the most popular sports nutrition brand in our space owned by a person of color, what would you say? I would probably say Ronnie Coleman. Um, that would probably be the one that I would say outside of like, maybe if you move into like the minority ownership stakes of like celebrity owned brands, you know, like uh, if you consider like something like Oprah owning like part of Weight Watchers or sure. LeBron owning part of Ladder or, you know, those types of brands you could kind of come up to, with. But if you're thinking about something that is, you know, 50, 50 or higher of an owner, I think it's, it's going to be Ronnie Coleman at this point. It's hard. I mean, you hesitated and you've been in this space for how long? Yeah. I'm, I'm more than 10 years. That says something, right? I mean, for me, it's like, okay, yeah, probably Ronnie Coleman. And then you think of like, um, you know, we think about like Sparta nutrition, Olympus lifestyle, Olympus labs, and they're around their minority owned. Like they were pretty, I know Sparta was big for a while. Not sure what happened to him now, but I mean, uh, that nobody would know that though, because like they don't promote that. Right. Yeah. They don't, I mean, those individuals, that family never put themselves out there on social media. So that begs the question, like if you're a minority owned business or you're a black owned business, do you celebrate it? Do you tell people about it? Do you let people know? I mean, because we've, we've said in the past, like when you do good things, cause marketing, tell people about it. And I, I called people on, on the gender inequality podcast said, listen, if you have women in leadership roles, celebrate it. I'm going to say the same thing. If you are a minority owned business in the space, celebrate it, let people know, show yourself on social media. And maybe I'm not following the right brands. I don't know. Maybe yeah. they're, maybe I'm, I, and maybe I'm the ignorant one. And I apologize if that's the case. I don't want to be, I want to, to know more. I mean, I know. Um, you know, for instance, like Apollo Nutrition, Robbie over at Apollo Nutrition, he, he's not from America. Like he came over here for a better life with the American dream. I know that because I know him personally, but again, had, had I not known him personally and just based on say Apollon's social channels by themselves, I wouldn't know that. I mean, so I don't know. I mean, should they get out there and put themselves out there more? Should they let people know, Hey, I'm a minority owned business. I'm, I'm a black owner. Like, should that be something they do? Yeah. I mean, I think they should. I mean, I think that you need to tell your authentic story. I think there's obviously the, the issue a lot of times where people just don't want to get out in front of things. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's trying to figure out a way to overcome that um, is part of the case. There was 
I think the conversation we had around one particular brand that I know that I called out um, in terms of being a black-owned business, a supplement brand, was a company called NatureAid, which is a very old legacy brand from like the 20s. It, can't, it was like a health food brand, but it was bought by um, two black males in 2012, I think. Um, they basically were, uh, I think Duke grads moved to LA. They were um, basically had a whole health and um, kind of journey in terms of like them really battling the LA school district to get mm. um, a lot of the junk food out of the the biggest school district in the in the country, like doing all these things. I think the Clinton um, presidency was like really putting them on uh, out there and saying, hey, these guys are really doing great. Well, they kind of tried to figure out how do we help more people outside of LA? They ended up purchasing this brand, but a lot of it is around um, highlighting some of those things I talked about with like health related illnesses for the minority owned for minority race. And a lot of those things, they call that out specifically. A lot of their products would be a little bit outside of our purview normally because um, they are sold in mostly like mass food mm -hmm. drug. And they're at a price point specifically for their goal is like they wanted to have a product that was a, a you know good product, but priced effectively in the most mass channels because they knew that's where um, you know minorities were going to shop for these products more than likely. They weren't going to go into a GNC or a vitamin shop. They needed to be at Walgreens or Walmart or Albertsons or Kroger's mm. or things like that because they knew more they, they'd be able to reach more people at that point and at a price point that makes more sense. So that was one like at least I guess story that resonated with what you were saying. But I think vast majority of be it women-owned, minority-owned businesses, um, have not, at least from my understanding, all the research I've ever kind of done, I haven't had it amplified to the point where the majority of people knew about it. I mean, it's me, you and I are super deep into this world, right. and we can't, you know, name, you know, 20, 30, 40 brands. So if there are, they're just not doing enough to amplify themselves to have the majority of the people know about them. Um, because if we knew more about them, I'd imagine that we would amplify them a little bit more, but it's oh, like 100%. you have to get to the levels before you um, before you can move to the next one. I think we just haven't had as many of them maybe um, that we've seen, I don't know. The person who could have crushed it was C.T. Fletcher. I mean, he could have done mm -hmm. a really good job. I mean, he had a massive YouTube following. Obviously, he's older now, he's had some health problems. Um, but it's just, I think, Here's the thing, like just because you have a, an influence in the space doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good brand owner, right? I mean, you have to learn how to manage finances. That's stupid hard. Even for people who went to MBAs, like me and you, like I hate doing my accounting. I hate doing the financing. It, it drives me insane. Um, so like CT, could have, now I know that he's with Ambrosia, with Mark Lobliner and, and Sean over there and Mike Rashid. Mike Rashid, I guess, is one, right? Yeah. With We could talk about him um, with Ambrosia. But I wouldn't say that I'm, Ambrosia is super popular. Like, I mean, they're pseudo popular through certain channels. But so Mike Rashid is one. But I mean, again, it, it's, you, you find yourself hard pressed to find an individual of, of color, whether it be female or male in a brand owner role. So if, let's, let's dig further then. How about a person of color in a leadership role? Now, I know in some of the bigger companies that you mentioned on our gender inequality podcast, like Vitamin Shops, GNCs, Iovate, they've got to. And I know um, like Barry Alexander with Iovate, he's a brand manager up there. Like, I mean, that's a pretty good role, you know, and, and, uh, and he, um, he is an African-American and he does great at his job, you know? So, I mean, but, you know, you try to dig deeper too. Again, I think what we see 
typically is the face of the brands on social. And unless you or I do business with that brand specifically, we probably don't know people in leadership roles. Maybe we do. I don't know. I mean, you might run into people, but I just keep thinking like, okay, we walked the floors at these expos when they existed. It, you don't run into a lot of people of color. I mean, besides fans, you, a lot of fans, but I mean, people who've taken meetings. I mean, you might have like a sales rep with Europa or Muscle Foods or whatever, but I mean, I'm talking about a, a, a legit leadership position, making six figures or more. Um, I don't know a ton either, and, and that's maybe on me for not getting to know or not reaching out enough on LinkedIn. But I would like to see more in those positions as well. It doesn't have to be a brand owner. Maybe you're not, maybe that's not what you want to do, and that's fine. Grand, there's a new brand that pops up every 10 minutes in this space. But I mean, it's like it, it, it would be nice too is to see some more diversity in the leadership teams of some of these big, large companies that we work with. Yeah. You know, off the top of my head, I can think of a handful of companies um, that do have either like upper management or, you know, VP or higher um, type of positions. I'm thinking, I know Glambia for sure does. Um, I know, like you said, Ivate for sure does. I know RSP Nutrition, uh, Celsius Energy Drinks. There's like a big Bang Energy Drinks. There's a ton of them that that do. Um, but like you said, I mean, it's would it if we consider from an equity standpoint of minorities to um, the overall population, is it is it the same? No, no. We're, it's definitely less than than mm-hmm. uh, the overall population, and that is. A problem. It's a problem for our industry because it does not give us the right um, voices to right. provide the products that people want the best based around the population. I think that there is a lot of things that you and I, as white males from the Midwest, we just don't know. Mm-hmm. And because of that, when we are making decisions in a boardroom, we just don't even consider those things. Right. And that's a problem because those things are ultimately what could make that idea much bigger, much better. Um, but we don't hear those voices. Yeah. So I think that that's, you know, echoing some of the things we talked about from the the female perspective is that a lot of times the sports nutrition brands that were geared towards women were made by men. Mm-hmm. How the heck do you do that? Right. I mean, I, I know that you can, because it's not like oh, there's some products that are similar or whatever, but there's a lot of things that you just don't think about it as a male and you're making products as a female until a, fem- a bunch of female owners come in and say, this is how you make a product line for women. All of a sudden, boom, everybody's like, wow, we didn't even think about that. Right. Same thing needs to happen right now with minority owned businesses where you go, hey, the way that you market the content, the whatever it is, like there's a way that needs to be things need to be delivered that would be much more effective if those voices were in the room. Mm-hmm. So it's not in the room right now. Yeah, I think it's important to note, too, I, I don't think – I want to make very clear that Josh is not saying like a white male um, and a black male are judged any differently. That's not all what Josh is saying, but culturally different. Like, I mean, race doesn't define you as a person in terms of like your character, but it does shape your culture and sometimes shapes the way in which – what messages resonate with you and what type of marketing resonates with you. Like. Josh would, and it's no different than two white people. Like Josh would consume a marketing message probably different than I would on certain aspects of things. But if, like, one of my buddies, Matt, who's 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 black, I mean, he, marketing to him is going to be drastically different to me because of the culture he grew up in. So he's not any less of a human being than me by any chance, any means. But you do speak differently, and that doesn't mean you speak down or you speak whatever. It's just the type of messaging resonates differently with different people, and that's. That's obvious. Like we, we need to understand that as a society, like there's nothing wrong with admitting that we receive messages differently based on race sometimes. We do. 
but that doesn't mean like you know that doesn't mean we should sell a product differently to a person of color like just like we shouldn't sell a product differently to a female we shouldn't half dose a product for a fe- to a female because they're female right if it's the same type of product it's just the communication type of thing so um yeah, I mean, I would. I just think it'd be a breath of fresh air. I, I look around, and it's not even like I think it's important too. It's not just sports nutrition, and we said this before too. But use the NFL for example, right? They had to literally put a fucking rule in place so that way black coaches would get interviews. Josh, like that's what they had to do. They had to mandate a rule that at least one person of color must be interviewed every time there's a head coach in vacancy. That's bull. I mean, that's kind of like bullshit, right? Like that's that's really fucked up if you think about it. Like that the organization, the nonprofit organization in which you work for, is mandating that as an organization you must interview somebody of color because we just weren't doing it. And the NFL isn't that much different than sports nutrition in terms of how we're ran. Like it's traditionally the boys' club in the NFL, right? And the boys' club in sports nutrition. I can't. We're never going to mandate, you know, that there has to be this because it's not. It doesn't work that way. But it just tells you how far we are still behind, not even in sports nutrition, but just in the entirety of business leadership and business ownership. It's, it's just where we're at. And it's 2020. And it's kind of disgusting that we still have to like have these conversations that this shit still exists today. Yeah, if we take sports nutrition and we broaden it a little bit towards maybe active nutrition or just like self-care health and wellness, you, you kind of think about it more holistically. When you start to peek into that world and you start to peek into more of like the beauty or the personal care mm-hmm. or just general health and fitness, those Different. types of things, you'll see a, a larger collection of minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, all of those things. They're in the sports nutrition world, we've been lucky enough at least lately to have a lot of the trends um, of more functional CPG like has come from sports nutrition. A lot of those things uh, we were doing years and years before and people have followed us later on. But unfortunately, there's things that we lag the bigger CPG category in. And this is one of them is that we should be looking at that as an inspiration and saying, hey, there's been a lot of really strong businesses that have come out, uh, be it from black women owned or uh, minority owned that have figured some things out that uh, maybe make sense. So is that providing capital to those businesses? Is that providing them an opportunity? Is that what it is? I, I'm not exactly sure the the first step, but there needs to be some like inspiration pulled from that because I think that if you're looking at it and saying, well, there's maybe there just hasn't been anybody that's been all that good. I don't think that's the case. I think that it's more of the NFL thing where like they just haven't been given the opportunity. Right. Nobody's really given, given a fresh look um, to it. And I think that that is sometimes the first step is just through like education and learning more and, and trying to put yourself in that position and saying, Hey, what, what within this world is holding this back? Mm-hmm. Is there something that is outside of a normal competition thing that you have to look at and go, right. we have to eliminate this. Um, maybe those are the things that the industry needs to kind of look at as a whole and say, are we, are we um, self auditing ourselves enough to take out all of those elements? Right. I, I don't know. I would find it interesting because you just mentioned before something like 14% of – you say the 14% of the population is African? Is, is, is for African-American, yes. Okay. So that's the population of the United States. Yes. Right? 
I would be interested, what is the buying population within the category of sports nutrition? And what percentage of that are white and what percentage of that are minorities? Let's just put them as a whole. I mean, is it 50-50? I don't know what it is. But it would be interesting to see, really, who are, the, who are the individuals buying this stuff? I mean, obviously, I mean, white's going to have a huge percentage. I, I know that. But I, I mean, I, I can even think about just in terms of like small things that um, I remember an energy beverage client that I had um, across the country. If you looked at global sales or, or just United States domestic sales and you looked at the top ranking, like 10 flavors they had, there was um, the, the ones that just kind of always were there. But then in certain pockets, say like towards the, the border towns or around like the southern area of like in Texas or right. Arizona or New Mexico, there was a certain flavor that was like number six or number seven, but was far and away like four to one a better seller. But if you were not looking at the data correctly for like trying to figure out, okay, what's the populations in those specific regions, you might have just like cut that or not even thought about that flavor legitimately in your business because you're mm -hmm. like, Nah, well, it doesn't look like anybody's buying it. But yeah, but there's a certain pocket, a certain type of buyer that is. And I think that those are like things that at least uh, regardless if it's a bunch of white people in a room, like you don't think about that sometimes. And I think that that's the issue in terms of like regardless of what the overall buying power is, there also is, is just levels in terms of maybe variants or mm -hmm. maybe just little small things that if you just tinkered with it, it would make a big difference. I mean, just to go a step further than what Josh was talking about before. So this is based on the census, the most recent one, which is where you got your, your data from as well. Like 60% of the population, um, white alone, just like straight Caucasian, right? But then you have, like you mentioned, 13.5% as African-American, 185 as Hispanic. Like that's a huge number that should not be ignored because that is a buying population of sports nutrition for sure. I do know – I have a couple of people that I know that I'm friends with who are of Hispanic, who are in leadership roles, which is cool, but they don't celebrate it. They don't put it out there. They don't market it. Um, and not to mention, like, the Hispanic has, has a lot of, like, successful bodybuilders as, as well, like, part of that. And, and, Josh, you can attest to this. Like, countries like Brazil, for instance, are just like – I mean, I, I mean, just countries outside – I just didn't even say Brazil, but just countries outside of America um, with a Hispanic, like um, – Emphasis, I guess. I'm trying to think of the word I'm saying. They spend a ton of money on Americanized brands, like American brands at these expos and stuff too. Like you go to them and, and there is. But so you would think that this would present an opportunity for many of these brands to, to take advantage of that or at least put somebody in position that says, hey, we are underserving this population. They're buying us by default, but maybe we can, we can make more money by actually articulating a marketing campaign that resonates with them. Do we do it? I don't know. I don't, I don't think we're doing it. I mean, most of the, I mean, just based on uh, digital ads I see, which can be served to me because I'm a white male. I get it. Magazine ads, whatever, they're all the same. Nothing is really targeted per se in terms of, of race. And I don't think it's wrong if you do. I mean, you have the data at your fingertips. Facebook knows more about you than the CIA. You know, it's like, so if you have that information and you have somebody in position that actually is relatable to that culture of people, I would say use it. There's, I mean, I don't know if they had it at General Mills, but I know a lot of the large CPG brands have a specific marketing leadership role that's usually around, like, yeah. you know, ethnic marketing or whatever they call that term. But it's like, I know Co Beverage does it really well. Um, I know that like Monster uh, specifically, they have a ton of objectives in terms of how to, um, you know, activate certain 
collections of individuals differently. So they'll maybe go after certain um, maybe Latino uh, performers. They'll go after maybe certain car shows that are that are more populated than that. Like they tend to like put activations to relate to them, be it social influencers or whatever. Uh, but they really are thinking about, hey, how are we in terms of our voice, you know, specifically kind of taking some degrees different from our central um, ideology or, or, or kind of strategy and saying, hey, where do we go with this? How do we manipulate it a little bit towards the people that are going to hear this the best way? It's it's one of those things where if you take a, like a central idea, a central communication idea, you do need to maybe switch up a little bit to make sure it's being um, understood or or I guess absorbed the right way, like you were saying before. It's not necessarily that you know you should be pricing things different or mm. different products or whatever, but it's it's a communication strategy a lot of times, a marketing strategy a lot of times. And to your point, in the in our industry, obviously from a personalized standpoint of digital marketing, we're only getting served the things that we fit into the buckets, so right. we don't get to see it. But if you look at just more of like the um, broader marketing ones that aren't necessarily digital, you don't see a lot of that. Um, emphasis that's mm. put on there. And that maybe because it's our industry is not big enough yet from a brand size, like where you, know, you don't have a ton of $100 million brands that have the marketing budget to go outside of their, um, I guess, where they think they're going to get the best bang for their buck. They just don't want to take a risk. Um, so maybe that's part of the case. And maybe we do um, take for granted, maybe some of those bigger CPG brands that, you know, you say, oh, obviously they're doing it, so we should do it. But they also could can do it and take risks and, and yeah. whatever. I mean, Mills, yeah, we definitely had, uh, we had that group. We came out with cinnamon toast crunch churros, which are delicious. If you've never had them specifically for the Hispanic culture. And it killed, like it just killed. It was the same thing. All it was, was a shape difference. That's all it was. Same exact ingredients, everything else, uh, pretty much. But, um, it'd be interesting. I, I want to hear, I hope people listen to this and I hope that we get some feedback. Cause I mean, you look at, you know, as we wrap this up, Redcon, we always talk about them, but they're a marketing machine. They spend a lot of money on digital. I'm going to actually pick the brain of their marketing director, Ryan Mohan, and say, do you serve a different experience to different cultures and different races? Like, I mean, you can. I know you can. You have an amazing back, back-end platform that is emphasizing personalization coming out. So is that in your plans? Are you planning on providing a different UX based on culture, based on race? And if so, like what that is, because that would be an interesting topic. I mean, because that's we're not there yet. But is, is that where we're going? And if so, I don't have a problem with that. I think it's great. Yeah, he would be a great person to ask, because I know before he was at Redcon, he had done a lot of work for uh, venture backed um, consumer mm-hmm. brands. So he you know, they had the money to be spending on things like that. So he's probably has a long um, history of, of knowing if this is going to be something that Redcon puts in play. And then it's kind of follow the leader mentality. Hopefully, sometimes when you do something great. Um, it the people will follow it, and it just helps that tipping point. Build it, and they will come, Josh Hall. Yep. <laughs> if you like the episode, hit that subscribe button, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, watching via YouTube, Reddit's review. It helps out the algorithm at Shaw Consulting, at Fitness Informant, at Two Guys One Shaker Cup, literally every social media platform there is. Um, I believe Shaw Consulting is now officially live on Grinder, so that's a free service to all of you <laughs> as well. Um, Josh offers some amazing free content. And by amazing, I wouldn't know because I haven't subscribed yet, but you should. <laughs> Until next week, we'll talk to you later. iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, 
YouTube, Google Podcasts, and more. Follow us along on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys, One Cup, Instagram, and Twitter.